Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We'll take our Bibles together and do some psalm therapy this evening. Turn to the Psalms, times of trial and challenge. We ought to turn to the Psalms often in preparation for challenges that might come. We're opening our Bibles this evening to the 119th Psalm. The 119th Psalm. Spurgeon introduced the third volume of his Treasury of David. The Treasury of David is Spurgeon's commentary on all of the 150 Psalms. In his introduction to the third volume of the Treasury of David, Spurgeon said, in these busy days, it would be greatly, it would be greatly to the profit of Christian men if they were more familiar with the book of Psalms, in which they would find a complete armory for life's battles and perfect supply for life's needs. Here we have both delight and usefulness, consolation and instruction. For every condition, there's a psalm suitable and elevating. The book supplies the babes in grace with penitent cries and the perfected saint with triumphant song. We've turned this evening to the 119th Psalm. Spurgeon wrote 398 pages on the 119th Psalm. I won't give you a recap of all 398 pages this evening, but even before we look in this psalm in any detail, when we turn to Psalm 119, what comes to mind? What thoughts come to your mind? What do you know about the 119th Psalm even before you turn there? It's long. (laughs) You know, I, I was listening to my son preach last week. He's down in South Carolina, and he said, he was talking about Christmas and reading through Luke chapter 2 and thinking it's the longest chapter in the Bible before opening presents on Christmas Day. And we did that. We still do that, all 52 verses. And we do it because my dad did that and tortured me, so I'm going to torture all my kids and grandkids. But it's not as long as the 119th Psalm. What else do we know about the 119th? Yes. Yes. Each verse in some way refers to the Word of God. It's a psalm in praise of the Bible, of the Word of God. Something else. Jay. Yes, the sections all start with letters of the Hebrew alphabet. They're designated that way in your English versions. And so it'll be Aleph and Beth and Gamil. And so the Hebrew alphabet is listed for us. This is an acrostic psalm. So when we turn to this particular psalm, and we try not to say chapter, when we turn to the book of Psalms, it'd be like saying, turn to hymn chapter number 102. Well, there's Psalm 102, they're each songs, and so we try to avoid the word chapter when we're referring to the Psalms, and we also try to avoid reading uh, the word uh, when it says Selah, because that's a punctuation mark in the Psalms. But when we open to this, the longest Psalm in the longest book of the Bible, There are some things that ought to be coming to our mind immediately even as we turn to this page, that the length of this book causes us to realize that God wants us to prioritize praise. The Bible tells us that we're to be singing with melody in our hearts unto the Lord. We're to be people who are praising God. And so there's a prominent place in the Bible for the hymn book of Israel, these 150 psalms, and I believe we'll be singing these 150 psalms someday 
in heaven. But there's something else that we realize when we turn uh, to this, the longest psalm, and that is this. Not only do we prioritize praise because the book is long, but we prioritize the Word of God because this particular psalm is the longest psalm in all of the Psalter. We prioritize God's Word. Psalm 119, as we've noted, is an acrostic psalm. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and so the 119th psalm has 22 stanzas. For every letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the psalmist gives a stanza with eight couplets. Now, Hebrew poetry is not like our English poetry. English poetry focuses a lot on rhyme and rhythm. Hebrew poetry focused more on being able to consider comparisons or uh, to be able to consider uh, those thoughts. It's a, it's a thought-based poetry where this will help you understand that, not necessarily a poetry that's based on rhyme and rhythm. And in these eight couplets, in 22 letter forms being given, you have 176 verses in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 176 verses. And ordinarily, for each of the stanzas, and you can see them there with the various uh, alphabetical codes given over them, ordinarily, each of the eight verses of the stanzas begins with a different Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is always according to that particular part of the alphabet. So all eight verses in stanza number one will begin with words that begin with A. And all eight verses in stanza number two in the original language will begin with words that begin with B. And so it goes until you get to where we are this evening. In Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72, the pattern is broken. Five of the eight verses in this, uh, the ninth stanza of the Psalms, of Psalm 119, five of the eight begin with the same word. All the others, the word changes, but here it's the same word, and it comes over and over again, and the word in the original language that begins five of these eight verses is the word good. The word good in the Hebrew language is toth, and so you'll see over the top the Hebrew letter teth, but the word toth is the word with which five of these verses begins. Why? Because Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72, is a testimony It's an unusual testimony. It's a powerful testimony. It's the testimony of God's goodness during times of our adversity. It's a testimony born out of experience. So we begin reading in verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now... Have I kept thy word? Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease. What a picture. But I delight in thy law. It's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. As we open to Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72, it's really evident that the situations that the psalmist was facing were less than pleasant. His character is under attack. The proud, verse 69, have forged a lie 
against me. He was afflicted. He says it twice. He says it in verse 67, and if you didn't catch up with it there, he's going to say it again in verse 71, before I was afflicted, and it was good for me that I was afflicted. The psalmist, though, testifies of the goodness of God in the midst of these afflictions. Thou art good, verse 68, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Let's be honest. When we're going through times of affliction, it's sometimes difficult for us to say God's good. You know, we hear people getting answers to prayer. Herb gave a wonderful answer to prayer this evening. And people will just automatically say, isn't God good? Isn't that good to hear of that answer to prayer? God's good. Folks, God's good all the time. And He's good even when we're going through bad times. Sometimes we go through bad times. The psalmist did. And he had the maturity, the spiritual maturity in the times of his difficulty to be able to give testimony that God was good even when he was afflicted. I want us to walk through the stages of the development of this testimony in the life of the psalmist. In stage one, we see before the adversity, he was straying. Before God allowed the adversity to come into his life, he was going astray. He admits it, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, every child of Adam, from the time of their birth, will go astray. That's every one of us. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 makes that clear. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have each turned everyone to his own way. We have a tendency to walk away from the love of the Lord. And when believers go the wrong way, they often run headlong into God-sent, providential, grace-given affliction. God gives us that. Put a mark here in the 119th Psalm and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, we learn something of the ways of the Lord. And these verses, though difficult sometimes for us to process, are verses that bring to us wonderful personal peace. Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers. Then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. I know chastening for the present seemeth joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Can you consider for me, we can speculate a little bit here, some of the varied ways that God chastens his people. Now, if you're a wise parent, you have a number of ways that you've learned to discipline 
your children, right? It's not always the same way, not always for the same child in the same way. You've got kind of a basket full of ways that you can turn them back into line. Maybe by way of testimony or just by way of practical consideration, how does God chasten his children? Yes, Darlene? Yeah, yes. Yeah, sometimes in chastening, he closes doors for us and says, that's, that's it far enough. Yes, Kim? I think I've been grounded sometimes. You feel like you've been grounded sometimes? Well, I might go with what Darlene's saying. The door's been closed. Yeah, God's shut you in, let you uh, think about your situation. Yes? He's taken away things that have been a problem for me. He takes away things that are a problem to us, and that's in his kindness, and kind of like when you take away a toy from a child, sometimes we recoil because we really got attached to that. Tom? Illnesses a lot of times. I do too. I think the Lord uses illnesses. Now, it's interesting in the 119th Psalm, it seems that the psalmist, he points out that there were those who were speaking evil of him and lies about him. And that, that was a dreadful hurt. Uh, was that the only affliction that God brought out on Lee? Yeah, so Lee said, I, th I think God sometimes chastens us with our conscience because we have a hard time forgiving ourselves of what we've done. I, I agree with that. Uh, I find the chastening hand of God in taking away peace. He is the giver of peace. And we ought to have a sensitive enough conscience when peace is gone that that's enough to provoke us to come back. But sometimes it's not. And God uses other means. Can you think of some other ways he chastens Tony? Yeah. yeah, those afflictions, they're but for a moment, and they're working for us a far greater weight of glory, aren't they, Tony? Yeah, God has many ways. He's a loving Heavenly Father. And I want to tell you something from personal testimony. God has used the passage that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 in my life during some of the times of deep, deep, deepest adversity to think through whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And while it may seem counterintuitive, there is wonderful blessing to realize Man, I'm going through a tough time. Must be because God loves me. There's blessing to be found there. And so the psalmist is speaking something of that blessing. Lee? I was just thinking about sometimes as parents, I know this old adage, this hurts me. <laughs> sometimes I wonder if God is hurt worse, you know, by chasing him. Yeah, Lee's saying as parents, you know, we use the old adage, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And it really does as a parent. I never believed it when I was a kid. Uh, I've come to believe it more now. Um, but yes, we know that it does hurt God. Lee was saying, I wonder if it hurts God because we're commanded not to grieve the Spirit. And so if we're grieving the Spirit, we're grieving God. So yes, God is grieved by our missteps. And yet, injustice, kindness, and consistency, He chastens so as we go back to this psalm, the, the psalmist is being transparent. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. You know, things were good. I was going in the wrong direction. And I want you just to notice here that affliction has the wonderful capacity of provoking confession. Now, when we go through our times of affliction, it provokes confession. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers in our pleasures and shouts 
at our pain. Pain is often God's megaphone, if you will, to get our attention. And again, I'll ask for your input on this. Can you think of some biblical examples of people who seem to have it all, doing great, and then they, they really messed up? And God chastened them back into the position of dedication and holiness that they'd left. Yeah, David, and who's writing this psalm, right? So David is the author of the 119th Psalm, and David is a picture of a disobedient one who endured the chastening of God. He speaks of it in Psalm 51, how after he had sinned with Bathsheba, he said, my, my moisture dried up as a potsherd. He, he talks about how he was unable to sleep. He, the joy of his heart was gone from him. He was in a depressed mode and mood. Can you think of some other biblical characters that, yes, Mary? Yeah, Jonah's a classic example, isn't he, of going astray and God chastening him back. He left the way that he should have been on. How about another? Yeah, Peter, Jacob, Samson. Yeah, thank you. There are just so many. So there are things in our lives that are common to all. Temptation is common to all of us. And the pathway that this psalmist is speaking of He's confessing, if you will, that before adversity, he went astray, and it was the affliction that God brought that brought him to the point of confession. We often pray as parents, Lord, we pray that our children will get caught. I can't disciple them wisely unless they're getting caught. And every time one of somebody comes to point something out about our children, we've tried to work hard on this, swallow your pride, and say, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> I need friends who tell me what my kids are doing because I'm not omniscient. And I'm thankful when my children get caught. I trust that in getting caught, if you will, it will provoke in them and all of us a confession. And this affliction for the psalmist promotes a consecration that he otherwise would not have known. He says at the end of verse 67, but now, Lord, have I kept thy word, the chastening of God had a cleansing effect in his life. He realized, if I go that way, God's going to allow affliction, and the affliction chastened him back. You ever heard about the original Gatorade? I read about this a while back about the original Gatorade. Now, there's a Gatorade that's used, of course, as an energy drink, and it's made famous out, out of the uh, University of Florida Gators because they, they lost the necessary elements in their body during the... Uh, the heat that was out when they were practicing for the football games. But there's an original Gatorade story that goes like this, that during World War II, the GIs who were in training in Florida, finding the climate so hot as it really is, part of their training was to grab a rope and to swing across a pond. And they were swinging across the pond, but many of those GIs, oops, they kind of accidentally fell off the rope, like halfway through. Uh, what a wonderful thing, and, and hit the water. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. And so the original Gatorade was actually invented uh, by a drill sergeant who put some big alligators in the pond. And what do you know? The GIs could actually swing 15 feet across that pond and never drop in. You know, God sometimes puts things in our way by way of adversity to help us think twice before we go that way again. The psalmist is saying that. He's saying that affliction. I'm thankful for it because now, I understand how important it is for me to keep God's Word. 
So he moves from stage one to stage two. Stage one, he confesses that he's straying. Stage two, in adversity, he speaks about how much he's learning. He says in verse 71, it's good for me that I've been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. All of us love to be on the mountaintops. Mountaintops are great. I've had the privilege of living in a lot of mountainous places, and I love being up on the hills. But you come to realize that for every hill there's a valley. You know, Peter stood there on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, and he said, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tents or three tabernacles. Uh, there's, there's always joy to be found on the mountaintop. But God brings storms in our lives often because we didn't learn lessons in the sunshine. Take your Bibles again and turn back to Jeremiah, the 22nd chapter for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 22. It's true about those of us who want to be honest. Often when things are going well, we just take it for granted. And we're not learning and behaving as God would have us to learn and behave. So in Jeremiah 22, God says in verse 21, I spake unto thee in thy prosperity, but thou saidst, I will not hear. God speaks not only in adversity, but he also speaks in prosperity. Sadly, in our prosperity, we don't hear. We say, it's been good for me that I've been afflicted, that I may learn thy ways with the psalmist as we turn back to Psalm 119. Affliction helps us to see, verse 69, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Psalm 119, verse 70, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Affliction helps us to see things as the Savior would see them. Rather than live for the praise of men, as we so often find ourselves doing, the psalmist is now saying, I see men in the polluted condition that condemns them. Fatness in the Bible often speaks of kind of having it all. It, 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 it's a good thing. So going into the promised land, it was a land of fatness. But here, it's not the same description of fatness. This fatness in verse 70 is like grease. It seems to be speaking of the sensualities and desires that the lost souls are living for, and it doesn't have any longer any attraction to the psalmist. Now the proud have forged a lie against me. He has a personal grievance with them, but he sees them as they are. And how is it that he saw those round about him as they are? Affliction opened his eyes. He could see in the affliction what he did not see in the sunshine. He sees people in their sin, and he cringes from it. Somebody has said, and I think it's well to say, we shouldn't always pray that God would change our circumstances, but we should always pray that God would help us to see what He wants us to see in the midst of our circumstances. We're often quick to pray, Lord, change my circumstances, when we ought to be praying, Lord, help me to see in my circumstances what you need for me to see. Affliction not only helps us to see, but it helps us to stand the psalmist says in verse 70, I delight in thy law. It was in a time of affliction that the psalmist made a commitment to the revelation that came to him from God. In the time of affliction, God gave a revelation that he wouldn't forget. James McConkie wrote, 
of a woman who was visiting in Switzerland. While visiting in Switzerland, she came across a field filled with sheep. She began to explore the field, and as she explored the field, she came to the sheepfold. And as she came to the sheepfold, she noted that the shepherd was there by the fold. And as she looked into the sheepfold, she saw that there was a, a sheep that was laying and not moving around like the rest of the sheep. And as she looked more carefully, she discovered that that sheep's leg was broken. And so she said to the shepherd, is its leg broken? Yes, the shepherd said, I broke its leg. What? You broke its leg? Yes, the shepherd said, I broke its leg. It's one of my sheep who had the most adventurous spirit, was always on the ledges of the mountain, one step away from falling off, and worse than that, it was leading some of the other sheep astray, so I broke its leg. And after I broke its leg, the shepherd said, I came, and when I gave it its dinner, it wanted to bite me. But the next day I came, and I gave it its dinner, and it was glad to see me. The third day I came, and I gave it its dinner, and it licked me in appreciation. Now I'm going to splint the leg. And he said, this sheep is going to be the best of my sheep. It will never go astray again, and it will lead others away from the trauma that they could otherwise see in following him in the wrong direction. It's a wonderful picture, really, of what God can do with us. We find ourselves sometimes broken, afflicted, thinking through a relationship that's gone or a financial circumstance that causes us shame. Sometimes it's a habit that's caused us to be broken down and find ourselves with no strength. Sometimes we're frustrated as parents, and that can bring embarrassment. There's so many ways that we can find ourselves afflicted. But the psalmist is saying, here's what I learned during my affliction. During my affliction, I learned to delight in thy law. Wow. Remember the 119th Psalm is all about the attractiveness of God's Word. And here in this Psalm, that's this, this stanza rather, that's unlike the rest of the stanzas, the psalmist five times is going to start these verses. Of the eight verses, five times he starts with the same word. He doesn't do that in any other psalm. And the word that he starts with every time is good, 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 good. I'm afflicted. God is good. I've been through affliction. God is good. I've learned through affliction. And I've learned to stand on God's word through the affliction. God is good. So stage number three, I'm going to actually drop down to the 75th verse and look at the next stanza. Because the psalmist says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. Thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Stage number three, after adversity comes knowing. You see, the 10th stanza of Psalm 119 provides an appropriate resolution for the affliction. The psalmist says, I know, O Lord, thy judgments, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. So what do we learn as we look at Psalm 119? Now, I'm going to just give you a quick list of things that came to my mind as I meditated on this psalm, and other things may come to yours, but I can tell you this, if you want to do some psalm therapy, here's one to turn to. In the times of your affliction, and we're going to go through the affliction, what can we learn? Number one, that God deals well with His servants. Thou hast dealt well, verse 65, 
with thy servant. Remember the song, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? How does it end? How does that song end? For I know whate'er betide me, Jesus doeth all things well. Where do you think the songwriter was meditating when he wrote that? I think it may have been here. Whate'er betide me, even in the affliction, thou hast dealt well with thy servant. Second, God's dealings with us are consistent with his word. He's consistent. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. It's not a haphazard situation. It's not, whoa, I'm surprised that that happened. No, in light of God's word, he deals consistently. By the way, that little phrase, according unto thy word, comes up 16 times in the 119th Psalm. The psalmist is meditating often on the consistency of the character of God as it's displayed in his word. I find God in his word and I find he's consistent to his word. Number three, there's much for us to learn during times of adversity. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe thy commandments. Like the prodigal who learned much about his father when he was away from his father, even we in our adversities learn much. Number four, times of ease can be times of strain. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. We, we can be most vulnerable in the times when things are going, we think, so well. We're just a step away from a cliff. Catastrophe might be a step away. Now, that doesn't mean I need to go through life suffering from paranoia. But it needs to provoke in me the thought that even when things all seem to be going well, I'm standing on the mountain and the sun is shining, I better be drawing close to the Lord and learning. Because ultimately along the way, He wants to teach me lessons for His glory and for my good. Number five, God sends adversity to change our direction. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy word. Praise the Lord for the redirection that adversity brings. Number six, God is good all the time. He's good all the time. Thou art good and doest good, verse 68. Thou art good. Somebody said, I was reading about this psalm, and the author compared adversity to the water that washes over stones and makes them smooth. And made the point that it's in the washing of the water over us by the word and by the adversities that he smooths out the imperfections to make us what we ought to be. Number seven, adversity makes us teachable. What does the psalmist say in verse 68? Thou art good and doest good, teach me thy statutes. How often in the times of trouble do we find ourselves grabbing our Bible and finding a place that we can be alone? Adversity makes us teachable. Number eight, difficulties help us to identify our true love. Difficulties help us to identify our true love. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Difficulties help us to recognize those round about us that might not be as helpful and as friendly as we think. Number nine, adversity clarifies our values. So the author says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and thousands of silver. During times of adversity, we learn to recognize the wisdom of God. 
God uses those adversities for our good and for His glory. And in the end, we discover it's not what happens, it's how we respond to what happens that matters. Every believer needs to study God's Word, looking for the fingerprints of God in times of trouble so we can share those things. You know, David went through adversity so that this evening, over 2,000 years later, we can learn from what he learned so long ago. Adversity allows us to accept the goodness of God and allows us to be more like he wants us to be. The, the, the poet said, looking back, it seems to me all the grief which had to be left me when the pain was o'er richer than I'd been before. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.